Hello, Internet. My name is Walter Siades Fedchuk, and welcome to just an incredibly special episode of Final Cut presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. I know that on the last episode of Final Cut, and even on the last episode of Steam Cleaners, we spoiled what the episode is. We are going to be talking about uh, the Paramount Plus original players um, today. We do have a guest here, uh, not literally in the studio, but virtually in the studio, and uh, do want to apologize that we had to get to bullet train before this, but we have recovered from that train wreck. And by train wreck, <laughs> I say it in the, the most glorious and praising way possible. And I am joined by, I'm going to start with our guest, uh, Kristen Pignolo, who has been on the show uh, on Steam Cleaners before. Kristen, how are you doing this evening? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing great, and you know I'm very glad that that you are here to give us a, a little bit of an outside esports perspective um, on your thoughts with players, and then of course, uh, the the organism to my cream cheese, Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar. Chase, I wasn't gonna call you Frugger. I I thought about it for a second. <laughs> I thought about it for a second. But that would probably be offensive. So you you are the organism. Here's the thing. Uh, as uh, I my players, back when I coached a League of Legends team, uh, which, spoiler alert, this episode's going to have a lot of stories because this, rem- this took us both down a, a, a trip down memory lane. Um, my players at one point asked me to stop playing ranked matches because I was so bad that they thought that if I got ranked... And they couldn't claim that I was just a Smurf who hadn't fully ranked up an account uh, in Europe yet. Um, the teams would think that I was so bad that my team was bad and they wouldn't want to scrim us anymore. So I think Frogger is an optimistic view of my potential in that particular arena. I'm more like, what, what is it, Craxton? Is that the name of the, the poor kid that gets thrown into that one game? Like, I'm that guy. I am not stage ready at any point in time when it comes to my in-game reflexes i am doing my best and apologizing my way through so i uh i'll take organism as the compliment that it is uh and i'm excited to talk about this because it's a very interesting series you're the organism of podcasting that's what walt meant i i I was gonna say that you know if podcasting was ranked you would definitely be challenging you would you would be up there at the top there's a reason we've been doing this for so long uh, and, and do such a good job at it. Um, well, and for the record, Kristen would be the nightfall of this podcast universe. No! Someone who is, who is just wholesome and kind and does their best to support other people and find the good in everybody around them. That would be Kristen, as anyone who's listened to K-pop shenanigans would know very well. That's too kind. Thank you. That's so sweet. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm laughing so hard. I'm just remembering the, the scene in in the... The episode. I, 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 never mind. We're gonna. We're just gonna. We're just gonna move on. We're just gonna move on, and we're gonna talk about players because you know when it was first announced. Um, I'll, I'll be very honest, Chase. I remember I like I approached you about it, and I was like, I don't. I don't know. I'm not feeling this. I don't think this is gonna be any good. I just. I. I don't like it. And then 
the first two episodes were available for free right when it came out on YouTube. And you talked me down from the edge and you said, hey, listen, like they're free. Watch them. If you really don't like it, you know, we'll, we'll skip it and, you know, whatever. I was like, okay. So I watched the first two episodes and I must say I wasn't, you know, I wasn't completely sold on it, but I also wasn't completely turned off. I was like, okay, there might be something here. And a lot of the industry people that I trusted and I respected, you know, thought it did a good job and really wanted to see where it was going. And some that had already seen, you know, future episodes really were, were you know, bigging it up. What were your initial thoughts when you when you heard that Players was going to be a thing? When I heard the show was announced, my initial instinct was that there was no way the show could be good. I have seen enough like shows that have tried to cover esports in the past. We used to do back when like the very early episodes of Final Cut, we would sometimes talk about shows that would reference esports. And there was that episode, I think it was a bull, like one of like yeah. the spinoff to like an NCIS thing in which yep. like Titanfall 2 was discussed as an esport. And like, it, it just, it doesn't work because you either have to spend a lot of time explaining to people how this works and why they should be invested if they're not already naturally esports people, or you have to fudge all of the details so that people can follow along and then it loses any sort of authenticity and the whole thing gets very silly very quickly. So I saw that this was coming out and I'm like, well, this could very easily be a so bad it's good series. I would be very down for a so bad it's good watch. You know, you and I can take the piss out of it. It'll be a good time. And then I heard it was good. Like people I trusted and respected told me it was good. And I looked at the credits and I'm like, oh shit, Emily Rand worked on this? Emily Rand is really knowledgeable and understands how to tell player stories and an authentic experience to so many of the things that uh, players go through. And so many of the casters and people in the industry get a chance to make cameos on this show or, or, or get a chance to put their own spin on things. And it's like, okay, so there is going to be an authenticity here. They do care about making this feel like an esports documentary something that we've had a few very good ones but we don't get a ton of unless you're someone that follows a team's individual youtube series so i you know i wanted to give it a shot i wanted to see where it would land for me and i gotta be honest from the first half i was not in i found myself more out than in but the second half of the series and i could tell you when it happened it's when Organism decided that he could speak and also act, which I, I don't think his character was allowed to do for the first half of the show. And once he has a voice and a point of view that we can actually latch onto, this show came to life. And I'm excited to talk about it because uh, while it is not a perfect show by any means, I think it's a very interesting one. Kristen, what, what about you? Because obviously you're not somebody that has, has spent some time in the esports the e industry, uh, you know, in, in a way that Chase or I have. What what kind of drew you to this? What really kind of sucked you in? Did it did it keep a hold of you right from the beginning? Or, or what were your initial thoughts? So I do 
have a like the tiniest of backgrounds with esports and League of Legends in that I have pl- I played League of Legends for a few years, introduced to it by Chase, and I've heard stories in the industry from Chase, and we also I also have a couple other friends that are kind of in it, but outside of that, like I don't I I truly do not have as much experience with it as y'all, and from the start I was kind of hooked i i did see that there were some issues um but i felt like for someone who is not in the esports world like y'all are it it really was approachable and i felt like it explained the mechanics of the game well enough and that even an outsider could kind of follow the beats and understand and not be alienated by it. Um, I I do think, Chase, you're you're very right to point to that scene where Organism um actually start talks back and has a point of view. That is a very pivotal scene. I would say I I maybe warmed up to it a bit faster than you did. I did think that there were some issues. I was like, it would be great if we could get a little bit more of organism. Is cream cheese going to continue to just be an asshole or what's going to happen there? Are we going to get a little bit of a character reveal? Um, but as I continued to watch the season, I, I was really happy with what I saw. I do I do agree kind of that the opening episodes are a bit slow uh because they do need to sort of establish the the framework for everything that's going on um to you know non LCS watchers to non esports people that you know don't really pay attention to League of Legends um there is not 11 teams in the in the North American <laughs> LCS that there is only 10 teams they have conveniently just because i guess they wanted to make riot wanted to make sure all the brands were represented and you know so on and so forth they just added an 11th team there's just an 11th team that has been here for a long time and you know it's it's alternate universe so we don't really need to worry about staying dedicated to any of the history or anything like that other than that TSM is the best organization ever <laughs> cough 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 <laughs> and because they have to set up this framework because they have to introduce us to really the two main points of view for the entire show and cream cheese and organism these first few episodes it's a lot of exposition um and i would even say it's not done very well um, it is just a lot of like narrated storytelling with sort of kind of flashback looks into the past. Um, and really, these first few episodes point out something that I had a, a large problem with the series overall is that, and I want to get this out of the way because I, I do want to talk about some of the better things. And this is just a, something that really bugged me is that the humor is very kind of 50 50 there are some bits that are that are really funny really good really harken back to sort of the early days of esports and the challenger series and all that jazz the the hot shot uh, the hot sauce shots like that to me is humor and as a plot device is really 
entertaining and to me as someone who was around back in season five when they're saying this, you know, team qualified. Like, yeah, I could totally see challenger teams doing that. Uh, what I can't see is that there would be a kid in his basement pissing in, in jars and water bottles and all of these things. And like, yeah, we called him PJ because piss jar, not because his name is, you know, Percy. Like, I, it just... The humor early on really is this swing and miss, swing and miss. It's either, it either works or it doesn't. But if you can get past that, if you can get past sort of this exposition and the initial framing that they have to do, you do get into a pretty decent plot and a pretty decent story and a pretty decent behind-the-scenes mockumentary, documentary-style look at this one season of Team Fugitive with some of the history in the background to provide context for why things matter in the current day. Chase, when we talk about, you know, this framing and this pacing, did you feel like the flashbacks were necessary, that they were well-placed? What what was kind of your thought of this sort of pinballing back and forth between the history of Fugitive and the modern-day Fugitive game? You know, it's it's tough, right? I, I think the... For a story like this to work, you do need to understand who these people are and where they came from. Their, their story of rising up the ranks in the first half of the season was the only thing keeping me engaged. I had a really hard time with the first half of the season because a lot of these characters in the modern age, especially cream cheese, very unlikable on a very visceral level. Um, just given the ego and the attitude, the anger issues, whatever, I found that very hard to latch onto. But I could find a lot to love about that younger team, the team that was all coming together and wanted to be something bigger and had these dreams. You know, that was what my job was in that Istanbul when I was coaching Imperial Esports. Like, we were a challenger team that was trying to get to the pros, and a lot of the dynamics there were things that I felt firsthand, and that was 2016. So I was only a year away um, from the, the what this game, uh, what, what this show covers. Uh, very similar vibes. And this idea of, like, everyone putting everything down, living in this one house together, practicing as much as they can, that energy you have when you're trying to become a pro but you're not quite there yet and the way that you bounce off of each other and the things you do to uh, ease the tension and build this personality you know maybe we're maybe not as content driven as some other people but like I can tell you firsthand the kind of hot shot uh, hot sauce shots and all of that felt very similar to a lot of things that I experienced in that house and some of the more crude humor and the rough around the edges, but with a lot of heart, you know, there was, there was a lot to enjoy there. The problem that the show has, at least in the first half in my mind, is that to feel a sense of empathy for cream cheese and the kind of dynamics that are so frustrating and that lead to so much tension in the first half of the season you need all of that background information. Until you have that, until you understand what broke that guy's mind and understand the full context of that speech about winning seven championships, he's not likable, which is a problem when he's your protagonist. 
and the person that everything's built around. Because if you don't like him, if you don't find him funny in those moments, then what are you watching for? Mm -hmm. uh, are you watching for drama? This is not a drama. This series is not... Like, the dramatic bits are the parts I would argue end up being the best part of the show. But it's trying to be a comedy, which means that those swings in the modern age for that part of the season whiffed for me. But having finished the series now, I appreciate the long-term storytelling that they were doing. Everything does tie together. There is a clear narrative. And, you know, when Cream Cheese is freaking out at the end of episode nine because he's starting to collapse mentally again and he's starting to blame others and lash out at people and you see him going back to that place i you know it's there it, it all comes together you understand how someone could want this so bad and how the roar of the crowd of people rooting against him and all of his history could eat away at him and what kind of person that turns you into. So there's certainly, I, I think it works a lot better in the second half than the first half, but I don't know how you would change it outside of maybe telling it in a more traditional, straightforward narrative, like doing all of the 2015 and 2016 stuff and then jumping ahead in time. But I, I don't think that necessarily works. Kristen, what did, what did you think about how everything was framed? Yeah, I think, to mess with the framing of this show would be to completely abandon the um, mockumentary and also sports documentary format. I feel like it would it would not work personally if we did away with it. But I under I totally understand where you're coming from with what you're saying, um, because those flashbacks really were high points in the first few episodes um there was a point walter when you were talking about humor um is there the humor can be definitely hit and miss but in some cases especially when it's something that cream cheese or braxton is saying like about i don't know there was this thing about doritos or whatever and it just fell flat and it's like yes absolutely this guy thought that this joke would be funny and it's just not landing. It kind of worked for me a little bit in a cringe way of like, yes, this guy just, he would make that kind of joke and it would not hit. Um, That kind of made it more believable as a mockumentary, but I do think the show also like wasn't sure how much it wanted to mock. And how much it wanted to play it relatively straight. And what we were mocking them for, I felt, um, was sometimes um, unclear or in question. I will say, when it was announced that it was going to be this mockumentary-style uh, show, that definitely worried me that it was going to be way more mocking mm -hmm. uh, than, than I think... Someone, you know, who's been inside the scene or who really does love, you know, League of Legends esports wanted. And it is those moments where they kind of force these jokes, um, where they kind of try to force it a little too much to be like, ah, yeah, they're like awkward, pasty, you know, white guys and these Asian imports. And ah, he 
you know, he cosplays cross dresses and like yeah, this guy goes out very strange. That was like, okay, we're just going to drop that right there because I guess we have to because of I've forgotten the because Cloud 9's player. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. sneaky. Sneaky it's a because cool sneaky thing. does it. Like I wish they'd That's expanded not on it. Cosplayers, please. Yeah. Like make it a thing, not a just like an offhand joke that you just kind of throw away. It was weird. I, I didn't yeah. love how they presented that. I, I think something like that, I, I do wish there's more depth to it, because to somebody who like doesn't know about sneaky, you would just be like, wait, what what the what, what the fuck's going on here? Mm-hmm. Um but they do they that is one thing I will say I appreciated about it, that they do put these little Easter eggs for people who have, you know, paid attention to L, you know, the LCS for a long period of time understand. You know, there are these references and these jokes and you know, the the casters and the uh, the talking heads as they come up and you can see sort of comparisons between the actual history of League of Legends and and LCS esports and what they are creating in the show. I I think it's pretty you know, upfront and blatant that cream cheese is an, is a double lift allegory is that they're using double lift story to kind of build the backdrop of cream cheese as a character. Um, in a way that I think the sort of veteran thinks that he's the best, even though he's probably past his prime and he now has to rely on other people like double lift didn't win a title because he was this, you know, all-encompassing god he needed other players to step up he needed to trust the other players around him um and while double lift is an 80 carry and cream cheese is a support you can kind of see the parallels between double lift and aframu and you know organism and uh and cream cheese is that one sort of helps create the other um the other thing chase that i was sort of reminded of is i think that the story of of Team Fugitive parallels Team 8 hmm. fairly well. The sort of like unsung, um, unsung team that sort of bands together that does make the effort to say, hey, let's let's get into an apartment all at once. Let's practice really hard. And they sort of surprised everybody by qualifying for the LCS. And then they stuck in there. They had a pretty good, you know, first first split or two. And then they had to pass on the ownership of the the brand. And in that moment, they didn't keep Team 8. They changed to something else. And I think that ended up being the Team Dragon Knights roster. I, I don't remember off the top of my head. But what other sort of parallels to esports and LCS history did you see in there? And do you think that the show was reverential enough to it? Or do you think they kind of just, like, said, now we're rewriting history because it's a fictional show. Well, you know, the thing that's funny about the show, and and this is something that I I do think is perhaps a little bit unfortunate. If you are someone who is invested enough in League of Legends as a game, you look at some of these stories, and you can see a lot of the personalities there. You know, Doublelift, obviously the cream cheese story mirrors a lot of Doublelift's real story about his parents not being willing to support his career and the uh, tensions that were there. Uh, but Foresight is also very much a double lift character, like the kind of ego and the championships that came with it. And, you know, the, the trash talk on social media and in game, like, you know, there, there's certainly a lot of these kind of iconic moments you get, of course, Guru, who is very much like if Tyler one had played a single professional game, <laughs> you know, very much that angle of, 
you know, someone who streams, big personality, lots of flashy things, but is also incredibly obnoxious. And I got to tell you, um, that was part of my esports uh, world that was it very accurate. Yeah. Did I not want to watch it? Absolutely. I hate that. I hate that kind of content creator IRL. So I, that did nothing for me, but it, you know, he's, a, he's a, eventually a villain character. So I suppose it all works out. Um, but the thing that's weird to me is that they take all of this time to iterate on things that are a hundred percent things that League of Legends players would recognize, like the Heimerdinger pick. You don't pick Heimerdinger. Who picks Heimerdinger in competitive? That's a whole big moment that they build around, and the reasons they do so are very accurate. It's, it is this idea of, like, it's a solo queue pick. It doesn't work with your team very well, and, like, the frustration and everything that boils over as a result of that pick, I, I think matches what a lot of league people would recognize. So it's then kind of weird when we get to the Yumi arc at the end and everyone's like, Yumi? Who picks Yumi in competitive? Like Yumi hasn't been a powerful champ ever since their inception. They're just not liked. It's a totally different story than what Yumi actually is as far as the competitive scene goes. And so that's a little weird, right? And then you pay attention and they're like, they do a good job of recreating certain knockups, like the missed Alistar Pulverize combo. That's a classic. Missing that in a big moment, that is the kind of iconic fuck-up that people would talk about the way that they would talk about it on those talking head shows and the, you know, can this person handle the pressure in the big moments? That all feels very natural. So why is it that if you look at the scoreboard, you see that we're five minutes into the game and the teams are on the opposite sides from the side they're sitting on the stage. Oh. Like the game footage never once matches what's actually happening. They'll, they'll reference certain things and the action will match the play-by-play, -play, but the map itself completely disconnected. And I have no idea why that's the case. It's Riot's game. They could have made the footage whatever they wanted it to. They could have used the practice tool to adjust all of the details that they needed. Why in the world are we not using the playoff graphics for the playoffs? They just had the records like it was like the, the series record as if it was a regular season score. They never do that. What was the purpose of that? I don't get it. And it's weird because they spend so much time and energy trying to make it realistic that I can't help but notice those things. In a way that if you never mentioned it at all, if you just made it clear that this was a game separate to League of Legends, I never would have cared, right? I never would have noticed. But Riot wanted it both ways. They wanted it to be a series that deals with this kind of alternate history and a different version of the game that ends up creating just an amalgamation of some of the most compelling stories that we've had over the past decade for a variety of different perspectives. And they wanted to, I guess, save time on collecting in-game footage. It, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, it's unfortunate to me that they come so close at times and then screw up some pretty obvious details in a way that it's like, you didn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. I don't... Mm. It bugged me. It, it was something I could not stop recognizing once I recognized. I guess I'm I I guess I'm lucky that I didn't even notice those things. Uh, by the way, the Heimerdinger pick, someone should have told Damwon not to play Heimerdinger <laughs> in a game five against SKT 
and like the best player in League of Legends history. It it it's a solo queue pick. It's not a professional pick. Kristen, were there any other plot points, any scenes, or anything that you know kind of stuck with you and and kind of kept you you know dragging you even further into sort of the the um, the esports genre that that have kind of held your interest even up until now. Hmm. That's a really good question. I'll say that for me, getting through the the early episodes, cream cheese going over to Braxton and April's house and watching the um his wedding speech really kept me interested because they were hinting at uh, frankly a different a different person that he was back in those days in the early days of the group um that kept me going and gave me hope that we were going to get some character growth with him um but also wanting to find out well what exactly happened here was it just the fame and not winning a title or a championship that kept me going through a large part of the beginning. I also really enjoyed the dynamic when cream cheese and organism were in the house together over the break between spring and summer splits. I wish that we could have gotten a little bit more camaraderie as opposed to antagonism there, but things had to get worse before they got better. So I understand why it shook out the way it did. Yeah, I I thought that was actually really interesting was how they sort of alluded to like, oh my God, they're going to be in the house by themselves. Like what the, you know, I hope they don't kill each other. And then it literally is just like, (laughs) yo, clean your shit up. Yo, shut up. And then the second they start playing, it's just like, you want to you want to play Lex Caitlin? <laughs> yeah, like and, it, and it, it's incredible to me because having been in that environment, like some some days, that's what it was like. Like I that's bet. what you like know, how sometimes the players would treat each other. Like where someone is eating an incredibly loud cereal or just clicking incredibly loudly, and you just can't handle it anymore. I can tell you, so I'll use a story from a player that I have a deep affection for. Uh, Shoami was my support back when I was coaching that Imperial Esports team. And he was 17 years old. He had never lived outside of his own house before. He hadn't had a lot of experience uh, working with people the way that this team needed him to. And there was a lot of tension early on while he was in the house because... He wasn't always doing what the team needed or communicating as effectively as he could have. And like fights like that would happen from time to time. And it was my job as a coach to diffuse those moments and help steer things in a more productive way. And one of the reasons I loved working with Shoami is because he put in the work. He started like, he watched more film than just about anybody. He cared a lot about improving And one of the things that I I helped him kind of understand is that the best way he could improve would be to do things like start to journal more often and start to process his feelings in a way that would, uh, would be healthier for himself and for the dynamic of his team and working with some of the veterans to make sure that they understood like, Hey, 
this guy needs someone to look towards and you need to act a certain way and be the leader here because that's what you do when you're the 22-year-old who has been playing for years and he's the 17-year-old who's still figuring this out. Like, very much that idea of these things happening and finding a way to diffuse it and when you get those moments, like, yeah, let's play another game. Let's let's find a different way to do this. Let's remind ourselves that we're on the same page here when it comes to that stuff and get those duoing in uh, even when there are tensions around. Um, it, it's something that is always... It, it rang very true to me. I wish it didn't take as long as it did to start doing the turnaround because we knew it was always going to get there, right? right? The series as it was presented, especially because it is a comedy, like... They were going to win in the end. That's not... I don't think it's a spoiler to anybody that they win the championship. That's the whole reason the show exists. That's the whole reason they set up the arcs the way they do. Like, of course. That has to be the way that this goes. And so we do waste a good chunk of time early on in the season by rehashing the same points about the anger and the frustrations between them. And I'm glad... Again, I, I think the show gets a lot better when they get over that and that it's much more about them learning how to work together and maybe not being the best of friends, but understanding what they need to win and making that the priority because at the end of the day, that's the only thing I've ever seen, you know, unite players in the same way. They're all going to have their issues. They're all going to have times in which they're frustrated, in which they believe the game should be played out a different way, in which they think the systems should be changed or whatever, but... If you can convince everybody you're all on the same side because you all want to win, that's how you improve. And that's the part that's the most compelling to me is how they figure it out and what they're able to become as a result. And I don't know. I, I, I don't think it needed to take as long as it did to get there, but I'm sure glad with where they got to. Kristen, you, you brought up this, you brought up that it was approachable. You brought up that there was a, an approachability to esports kind of as a whole, uh, you know, from an outsider perspective. Was there anything that you sort of looked at throughout the course of the series that happened that you were like, that that's totally fake. Like, there's no way that that's real, that that ever happens. Was, was there anything that stuck out to you that was kind of fictional? Oh, um... Well, I did not notice what Chase noticed with the um the shots in the rift not quite matching up with the situations that were described. I'm trying to think. Um Oh my gosh. I nothing really stood out to me. It has been look, it's been a number of years since I've played League and it has changed a lot since I was playing and I was not a good player to begin with. I had we had fun, but um, nothing didn't really ring true particularly for me. Um, I felt anything that was no. It, I I felt like honestly overall it was really true, and maybe if I didn't have the knowledge from a league perspective, I've seen I know I've seen like enough sports and enough sports documentaries to kind of get the the beats that they were trying to lay down do do you think that this was then a obviously it's fictional but do you think it was a good documentary 
you think it taught you enough about the team that this would make you a fan of them if they actually existed in real life? Ooh. Um, yeah, I think. Yes, I would say so. It would. It is definitely, I mean, like, who doesn't love an underdog? And with the the arc, the way that it goes, and, obvi- and I per- have not seen the final episode, but yeah, I figured that they won. Um, and seeing this kind of redemption arc for cream cheese and seeing that the team come together, yeah, I would totally root for them. I, Chase, what about you? I mean, it would depend on whether I was watching it week to week or whether I watched it all in one swoop like I did for the show. Um, if I were watching it week to week, I never would have gotten past week three Oof. and I would have been rooting for cream cheese to lose every game for the rest of his <laughs> life because that guy was incredibly unlikable for the first half of the season to me. The um, actor did a by great the, job. The actor did a great job. That was the character he was meant to play. And like, you know, you can say like, oh, you know, I'm sure plenty of people appreciated his passion. And, you know, there were certainly a lot of things that Organism did that were frustrating. And I, I understand where he came from, especially uh, because his friend was the one being caught in the crossfire and that all of this was coming from an owner that he didn't care for. Uh, to be honest, I think ultimately I, I would have become a Dignitas fan because I would have been a Frugger guy. I thought Frugger was great. Very likable guy. Did absolutely nothing wrong. Tried his best. Was not good enough to win, obviously. But he sure tried. And I, I, he is an underdog. Someone no one believed in who gets a shot on another team after realizing there's no future for him there. It didn't work. But Frugger's you know. Apollo, right? Uh, yeah. In, re- in real life, Frugger's probably Apollo. He's got to be Apollo or Cop either way. Like Ooh, that, Cop, Cop. Yeah, that the guy who is good enough that he should always have an LCS job, but not good enough to ever win a title. That's who that guy is meant to be. Um, good for Frugger. Redemption for Frugger. Uh, yeah, rooting for Frugger in season two, now that he's uh, seemingly coming back to the team. Uh, also uh, feeling bad about Apollo. I really like you as a player, Apollo, for the record. I, back in the uh, Guess the Lions days, I was always in your corner. I just... Uh, I, I don't know, man. You're you're a good uh, third carry, uh, uh, you know. Wow, so, that, solid, that feels mean. I didn't mean to throw shade. Yeah, that was still so playing that way. <laughs> No, I, in all honesty, Apollo was always that guy. We're like, yeah, he's gonna be the eighty carry on like the fourth or fifth, fourth or fifth best LCS team, and you're never you're never gonna be upset that he's your eighty carry. Until you're in a game five trying to win a world championship or, or an LCS championship or a playoff series. And you're like, oh, crap. Oh, God. Like, he just he never had that moment where he was like, I'm just going to fucking win this game right here. In the way some of his contemporaries, like a wild turtle, a sneaky, a, you know, obviously double lift is the king of like, I'm just going to fucking win the game right here. He's also the king of I'm just going to fucking lose the game right here. And, you know. <laughs> Details. So on and so forth. Details. details. Minor details. But Chase, I think bringing up how organism acts and, and like the Heimerdinger pick and all of these things, it does lead to the end. Because despite the fact that they win the championship, them winning the championship only happens like halfway through the last episode. And we get a bit of the fallout for what happens to Team Fugitive after this. Obviously, they, you know, they go to Korea. They go to Korea for the world championship. And, well, 
they do what North American teams do at the World Championship. They are very happy to be there. They enjoy their time. They do some sightseeing. They, you know, create some content. Um, and then they get absolutely destroyed by the Eastern teams and, and other foreign teams. Uh, they fall out of groups after only winning one or two games. And then the team implodes because... I, they went on vacation too early. Someone's mom or girlfriend or something happened to them. Uh, just all of these things. And we lead to a confrontation, a, a, a yelling match, a brutal assessment of the situation by organism where he basically tells all of them, much like he did to his family earlier on, go fuck yourself I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. What did you think about that? It's a brilliant moment. The, the, be- the last episode is the best episode in the series because I too, I thought they were going to go to game five because they'd set up like Foresight's never lost a game five. No, they did close it out in four because they go with the Yumi pick and thematically put, putting aside all of the things about whether Yumi like should have been such a surprise to the casters. It is a brilliant metaphor for the entire season they've been building so far. The idea that they are only able to win the title when Cream Cheese puts himself to the back and says, I am here to let my carry carry the game. I am here to lift him up and let the player who is better than me at this point in my career achieve everything he is capable of. Thematically, it is perfect. It is a brilliant choice. Uh, It plays into a lot of memes within the community. And I, I think that it shows a clear amount of character growth. And you're rooting for them to enjoy this. Like, cream cheese, this is everything he's ever wanted. Of course they should celebrate. It's kind of funny that they wrote the group of death as a group that now we all know uh, the Chinese team, uh, Fun Plus Phoenix, did terribly at that Worlds. And the North American team actually did escape that group. I'm sure this was written before that happened. Um you know, it was this idea of like, yeah, they should celebrate. They're they're in Korea. They're playing these scrims. They're getting their asses kicked. You do need to diffuse and unwind. And it's okay to not have that drive to be the best as long as you are happy with what you accomplished. They did the thing, right? Well, not so much. Because Organism doesn't want to be the best in NA. He wants to be the best. He wants to be the best player in the world. And he will never stop grinding until he becomes that guy. And it's, it's great, the scene that happens, that fight outside, for two different reasons. One, it is a complete reversal in dynamics to every fight that has happened between those two characters previously, right? Cream Cheese is usually the one who is loud and aggressive and in his face and trying to browbeat him into doing the thing and caring about the same things that he cares about. And in this time, it is Organism who is loud and in his face and holding him to the same standard that Cream Cheese was holding Organism and other players, too, earlier in the season. This idea of if winning is what you care about, you don't go out and sing karaoke and get drunk in downtown Seoul. Like, that's not how you win a world championship. And if that's what you care about, you would be there and doing the practicing and getting, you know, pushing yourself against these better players. Um, so it, it fits thematically there. It's, it's a brilliant uh, move. But it's also brilliant because it ties into everything Organism's been building towards. Organism is somebody who early on in the season was 
a little bit afraid to let himself out all of the way. The, you know, enigmatic kind of angle to him was such a big part of who he was. And we learn over the, the, the course of the season, like he's absolutely willing to quite literally start fights to get more time playing this game. All he cares about is being the best. That is everything that is on his mind. And I couldn't help watching him and the way that fight played out thinking about you, Walter, because for years of doing that podcast, you were begging for a North American player. Just like, please give us somebody who cares about winning on the international stage, who is really willing to do whatever it takes to be the best instead of just being satisfied with being the best in North America. And Organism's that guy. And so what does he do? Well, you guys might be happy. I'm not willing to settle for this. I'm gone. He doesn't even go back with the team back to the States. He stays in Korea and he says, I'm going to practice until I am number one on the Korean ladder. That is what it means to be the best. If this is where the best play, that's where I'm going to play. And that's what matters to me. And how does that monologue of his end? Well, who cares about being happy? Happiness is a lie that people tell themselves in order to convince themselves that they're comfortable not being the best that they can be. I don't care about the fact that I miss my teammates. I don't care about the fact that I have pushed all of the people who cared about me away because my only goal is to be the best. And I do that here. And meanwhile, Cream Cheese is stuck having lost everything that he had gained from a character arc perspective over the course of the season. He had finally learned the lesson that would allow him and organism to reach the next level and be the best that they can be. And because he was satisfied with that, because he finally allowed himself to feel joy after years and years of cutting out the things that really mattered to him, including the girlfriend that he cared about, now he's gone. Now he has to start from square one all over again. That ending was fucking awesome. I got to tell you, what a punch to throw in that last season. What a twist on how to handle it. I wasn't ready and I loved it. I Shout out to the writers. That was really a, a, very well done. I totally expected that Guru was somehow going to purchase not, not the Team Fugitive spot, but one of the other spots and that he poached organism. That was totally, at, like, after the blow-up happened with the scrims, that's totally how I expected it to end, was them to get just absolutely trounced, them to fly back to, to you know, to L.A., them get ready to hop in the bus to go back to the house to collect everything, and organism being like, there's a limo pull-up, and it's, and it's Guru, and it's uh, Nathan, the previous owner, who we barely even touched on. And, like, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go play for them now. Because, like, they actually want to win at Worlds. They, they promised me they're going to win at Worlds, and Guru's never lost. Like, I totally thought it was going to be that backstab. And I disagree with you saying that Cream Cheese lost all of his character growth. I, I don't think he did. I don't think that he ever was the type of person that was like, I want to be the absolute best at this video game, period. I think he wanted to be a star. He wanted to be a celebrity and just 
part of being a celebrity is like, oh, well, you have to win titles. Like the bombast of him saying, oh, we're not going to win one, two, three titles. That's, you know, they're, they're making fun of the LeBron James going to Miami thing. That's, that's, you know, clearly what he's doing there. But it really isn't ever about him being the absolute mm. best at the game. And the reason why I don't think any of the character progression that he has by the end of the entire season backslides is because, yeah, they get back. They're having the Christmas party. He's, you know, talking to, to Jack. He's talking to Kobe. He's talking to Mark. He's talking to Scar. He's talking to all these guys. But you can just see in his face, it's fake. It's all fake smile. It's all like, oh, uh, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm having a great time. It is very BoJack Horseman-esque that he is, everybody knows me as this huge bombastic character, so I have to pretend to be it. And it's, you know that none of the character growth that he, he's, he's had over the course of the season is gone because at the end, when he goes to his room and he you know, kicks off his shoes and everything, he's like, whoa, glad that's over. And the very first thing he does, turns on his computer, pops up, you know, Twitch, pulls up Organism, and has the exact same speech from earlier talking about Yumi. And of course he's saying, oh, well, Organism is, you know, Organism's the person I've been looking for the entire time. And like, I'll find them again. And as much as like, if they do a second season, like, of course, it's going to be how the, how does he get Organism back on the team? Like, what do they do to get him back and whatever? But there is a, like, there's, like, an acceptance of fate that he is willing to, like, go out and find somebody else. And that this time, instead of being apprehensive and upset and, like, no, it's not my choice. I want to play with Frugger. Like, it's like, nah, dude, like, I've done this once. I can fucking do it again. Like, I'll go find somebody else and, and we'll do this. Yeah, I want to clarify real quick. When I, he didn't lose his character growth. He lost what he gained because of his character growth. He has these, this big moment where he finally gets his AD carry because he looks beside himself. And then the AD carry leaves anyway. That's what I meant to imply. Not that in any... Because I agree with you completely on everything you're saying. He absolutely maintains the growth as a person. It's just one of those, like, in most comedies, right? You expect that character growth to be rewarded. You know, you in a romantic comedy, you grow as a person, so you get the girl or the guy at the end, right? Mm -hmm. That's the, there is a reward for having done the thing to grow and change as a person. And he doesn't get that. And I thought that was a bold choice and a really good one. That, yeah. That's what I, I'm trying to say here. I am so excited to watch this final episode because if you had just told me what you just said, like, that is the hardest turn that the show writers could make to kind of like ride this knife's edge of a finale. And I'm very intrigued to see how I actually respond to it when I watch it. I'm ex I'm excited. Oh man, that what a way <laughs> it's, it's to good. end it. It's really good. It's really it's good. It's a really, really good finale. Uh, you know, obviously, Kristen, you haven't watched the last episode yet, but but even up until this point, what has this created any questions in your mind? Not just like maybe just about the show and like what they would potentially do in a season two if a season two happens, but just kind of like about esports or the LCS or anything in general. Like, did it, was there anything you really wanted to know? You know, there, 
I really enjoyed, especially in, in the beginning of the show, kind of seeing how the team and the um, business structure, let's call it, were really at odds with each other. Um, and I am very <laughs> intrigued how, by, how accurate that is. Is it what the the relationship between um, the owner and the team is that kind of adversarial relationship particularly common? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. that one rang real true for me. I yeah. I've met I've met Nathan Resnick. I haven't like obviously he's a fictional character, but I have met that guy. I've met multiple versions of that guy over my time in esports. People who see this as a way to be on the cutting edge rather than something that they are actually passionate about. And people who see the marketing potential more than they see the players and the people behind those gamer tags. Um, and, and of course, the focus on sponsorship obligations, because none of these teams are making money. They're all like the price of these orgs have gone up, but the actual revenue is still something they're struggling to turn a profit on. So very much rings true. I mean, do you, do you agree, Walter? What, 100%. The, I, and I would definitely say, like, for modern modern times, pretty much all the owners are, are, the, are those kind of guys. They're, they're Nathan Resnick's. And I do think, you know, there are a couple of owners in the LCS currently. I think Jack and, and Steve, um, I think, are good, you know, good portrayals of they are still old school enough that you know they care about the players you know contracts won the the most improved player of the split this year and jack was like the first person i saw tweeting congratulations to him you know because he came up through the cloud nine system and how proud he was of them um but i would say for for the large part you know these ownership groups they they don't show up it's not like they're at the LCS every single week like a Steve and a Jack are. It's not like we're seeing them, you know, talking to the players or helping out the players. At the end of the day, they are trying to make money. Um, now, it is funny you bring that up because I've also met and, and dealt with that that woman that tries to buy the team. I've dealt with the other side of it, too, <laughs> where they just, they just want to be one of the guys. They just want to be one of the players. They want to just hang out with the players and, you know give them strategy advice and talk to them. And, and, and they really want to be not the owner, but they want to be part of the team in and of itself. And that can be almost as dangerous as having yeah. just one of these profit driven owners because they get so invested into it that they either have a hard time making decisions that, you know, would cause some friction within the team, whether it's roster decisions or whether it's, you know, enforcing, hey guys, I, I need you to stream a little bit more. Or sometimes they're so involved that they want to be the coach or they try to say like, hey, like let me play this scrim and I'll show you how to do this thing. <laughs> when, you know, no offense to Chase, they're like a bronze or a silver level player. Like, Do you, you remember know, when the Invictus gaming owner literally subbed himself into that LPL game? Because that a hundred percent is a thing that happened. <laughs> Yeah, or or what was what was the team in um, Taiwan that was like the um, the pop star 
that all Oh, yeah, J-Team. Yeah, absolutely. J-Team, yeah, J-Team. Like, there's both sides of the coin, and and both of them can can have, you know, you get all the money and all that type of stuff. And right when it first happens, that team owner that, you know, then Nathan Resnick's are all in on it. It's great. And then the second they realize you don't make any money, they're looking for a way to offload you. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say, yeah, that... They they took a shotgun uh, to to that relationship, and they're like, yeah, like it sucks. It actually really sucks for a lot of the players, especially if it's you know a brand and 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 the team that you created and you earned, and you know, I not to talk about like the valuation difference that you know April and Kyle lost out on, but just like the control, it's not their baby anymore. They mm-hmm. they could get kicked out at any point, and they're gonna have to sit back and and watch you know, Team Fugitive be successful in the LCS without them. And I know for a lot of people, that's, it's a bitter pill. Sometimes it's hard to accept it. And sometimes you still have that little bit of pride um, because you helped create that thing. Yeah. That statement from the, uh, the manager, um, Holly, uh, or no, April Braxton, excuse me. Holly, yeah. Holly Cho is the uh, actual um, uh, actress. Um, but like when she's like, you know, Kyle doesn't survive a rebuild, right? Like if they rebuild this team, he's gone. A hundred percent accurate. We have seen coaches uh, absolutely get replaced by new ownership groups because they just want to put a fresh face on it. They want their guy in charge, right? They want someone who they hired and they vetted Mm -hmm. and they think matches what they want. Even if this person has been a part of the team for a long time and has a lot of connection with the players involved. So that whole storyline where it's like, if we don't find the right ownership group, it's very possible that their coach and cream cheese are out of a job. Very much something that I think will resonate with uh, a lot of players who have been through that experience at various times. Uh, Golden Guardians says hello. Um, yeah, Golden Guardians. Uh, the um, Misfits are about to be going through that now with their spot being sold. All those players, who knows what's going to happen with their careers. It's, yep. it's Shulk. rough. Yeah. Shulk. The show did a great job of, of conveying that precarity of your situation. Um, and also, is it bad that it made me want to get back into the game and also <laughs> watching? I mean, congratulations! You fell for a marketing. I play. fell for it. Oh no! They Look, got let's me. be clear, Kristen. This is the right time to tune in for Worlds because it's in North America this year, so it's actually going to be in time zones that are relevant yeah, to all instead of, us. of like it, at two a.m. If you want to watch some games, I'm very down. China is so good this year. Oh my god! Mm. There, you could put the top six Chinese teams all at Worlds, and I think they could potentially fill out all top eight. Like it is. Uh, an incredible level of talent on display. Um, and it's Six fun. teams filling out eight spots would be pretty impressive. Well, no, two Korean teams get in two. I'm leaving room for the top two Korean teams. <laughs> I, am, I am offended as a G2 fan. You go fuck yourself. We're better than the second best Korean team. Well, sure, but I'm a rogue fan, so I'm salty as fuck about spring. You guys killed us. It, was, it sucked. It was like watching a freight train and knowing that you were going to get run over and there was nothing you could do because Perks was not losing that fucking series. Or uh, Caps, excuse me. Uh, God, yeah. No, I, uh, that's entirely salt. You're 100% correct. Objectively. But I don't care. It, was, it hurt. They broke my heart, Walter. Don't you understand? 
Yes, you're a rogue fan. That's literally what is supposed to happen to you. Yeah, I mean, look, rogue are going to be like fugitive and they're probably going to go like two and four at Worlds and then they're going to be done. But that's not the point. That's <laughs> there, not the point. Uh, oh. It's going to be fun. Please watch with us. I like yeah. League, League can be great. Esports can be awesome. And if this show reminded you of that, if there it are did. people who have maybe like been waiting for an excuse to get back into esports, like now is the time. The World Championship starts at the end of this month. Um, there's a lot to look forward to, a lot of really exciting storylines. And, you know, I think what makes this show work ultimately is that the people who love who made it love the game and they care about you loving it too could they have maybe balanced certain things better you know spent more time explaining certain game mechanics and less time on some other things that maybe didn't matter as much sure but the stories the characters the reasons why we tune in every week they nailed it Mm -hmm. especially when the playoffs come in because the playoffs hit different and it's just, it, it comes to life in a way that feels very natural and very satisfying. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's worth paying attention to and enjoying. Kristen, do you have any, uh, any final thoughts or, or things you want to say about the show before Chase and I now spend the next two hour, hours reminiscing? <laughs> Um, I think it definitely, like, if you're on the fence about it, like, just, just watch it. Just watch it. Give it a, give it a go. It's, I think overall, it's really well done and, um, delivers on the, on the emotional beats. And I'm like, so excited to see what a potential season two could be. Oh my God. No, but I also want to hear all of y'all stories, please. <laughs> I, I would absolutely agree with you, and, and, and we will in one moment. Okay. Um, that, that the show, is, it's worth watching. The first few episodes, there is going to be, I, I'm telling you, episode two was hard for me to get through because the fucking piss jar stuff was so cringy. God. Was so awful that I just, I, I wanted to punch someone. He's just a machine, so Walter. Angry. Don't you know? That, that um, stereotype that we haven't spent years oh, trying you know, to get rid of. You know, I do oh feel compelled to say I I have met people who have admitted to pissing in water bottles because they didn't want to stop playing video games. So I, and I understand. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got to keep it alive. I, I get it. I understand it's a thing, but it's one of those where, again, you know, I said early on when I was worried about how much of how much of the piss they were going to take out of esports. <laughs> like this, this was something that's like, this is unnecessary. This was sort of like how in the, the South Park episode about world of Warcraft, how, when they show the sweaty nerd, like reclined in his chair, like I get it. I understand why you did it in this instance. It was unnecessary. And I don't think it really added anything to the story other than maybe furthering showing that, that organisms family, was so again like just didn't understand gaming that then makes him yelling at them a little bit more poignant. No, I, um, I would agree with but you. I would agree. Yeah, and that conversation, by the way, that's one I've had with every family member I've ever tried to explain my job to. 
It's like, oh yeah, they got the flashing lights or whatever. I didn't realize that people do that for a living. The like trying to explain that and feeling the disconnect when people like put on the like they're clearly wanting to show that they are supportive or interested, but it's very unnatural because they don't get it and they they just don't have enough of an interest to actually do the the work of of watching and and learning and and all that stuff which is fine right esports doesn't have to be for everybody though i think it has a lot to offer but that disconnect that organism feels from the rest of his family and the fakeness with which he thinks they approach his hobby versus the more traditional sports stuff man that hit home i've I've seen that i i've felt that one in my soul yeah, my my parents were very anti video game. Didn't understand the esports thing until someone literally paid to fly me and move me to California, and then pay me to work on it. And like once that happened, they were like, "Wait, this is actually like a real thing." And can my dad have any type of in depth conversation with me about it? No, but you know what? He's polite enough. He listens. And if I add some, you know, comparisons to real sports, he'll sort of understand it enough. If I say like, yeah, imagine if the Yankees and the Red Sox were both undefeated and then they lost in the playoffs back to back against the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, he would understand that reference. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Chase, honestly, I, I think part of what drew us to the show was sort of how well does it kind of compare to our experiences in esports? Were there any, you know, stories in your own personal life that sort of cropped into your head while you were watching the show that, you know, gave you, you know, fond or or not so fond memories that you kind of want to share with the audience that maybe we haven't talked about before? Sure. Yeah. You know, you bring up the family thing there. And like, I would say that my mom is kind of closer to the brother in that like she understands that esports is a thing that I care about and she tries to wrap her head around it and learn some things. Like I remember back when I was coaching uh, and back when I was like living back at home after the Istanbul job fell through and I would get her to watch some of the highlights with me as I was trying to catch up on some of the bigger games to get storyline information before I would prepare for interviews and whatnot. And did she understand it? Not necessarily, but she did have her favorite champions when they came up and she felt great whenever she recognized them. She's like, oh, that's Jin. I remember him because he's got the mask. And it's like, yeah, you're right, mom, you nailed that one. It's like, oh, that's Mundo. He goes where he pleases, right? It's like, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, well, what, what are the two things you need to know about, uh, about League of Legends, mom? And she's like, well, first of all, uh, when in doubt, import a Korean. Absolutely. She nailed that one. And then two, her favorite team was, of course, the Unicorns of Love, because what other team does a mom who likes to live in Happy Fairyland pick but the Unicorns of Love? She's like, what do unicorns do? They fight. And it's like, yeah, that's what they do. They just fight. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it didn't. But they always fought. And she loved them for it. Um, So I I, I had a a fond memory of that. Um, I certainly like, you know... I I also empathize to, to go on the complete other end of the spectrum. Cream Cheese losing that finals, having had the lead and the, the mental break that happened once he lost that game. 
very much felt like watching my players when we eventually lost that promotion series to get to the TCL. Like there was just this moment of, oh God, they're clammed up. They're not talking to each other. They're on different pages and they're not willing to commit to the things they need to commit to. And it was like, you know, I remember sitting up in the press box for the TCL coaches. And, you know, we were the, uh, we were a team that most people in the TCL did not like. Riot Turkey actively disliked us. And I would argue actively kind of sabotaged our team because they lied to me about what patch we were playing the playoffs on. So I gave my players a vacation because they needed it. And we ended up not having any scrims on the patch that we were competing on because I had sent them away during that patch's live time. And Riot Turkey wasn't as great about the, the tournament realm as some other people, um, which was very frustrating. But we were seen as outsiders because our Turkish players were German Turks. They had dual citizenship. So they weren't really from Turkey was the way that they framed it. And so they wouldn't scrim with us. They didn't really talk to us. So, you know, here I am. I am the, the one American in the room. I have the German-Turkish manager uh, who is beside me. No one from Riot Turkey or the other team are talking to us at all. And in fact, Riot Turkey is actively cheering on the team that we are playing against because that's where their loyalties lie. Um, and I'm just watching everything fall apart. I'm watching the mistakes that we made two months ago. I'm watching a team that didn't have the jungler that we'd practiced with because we had had uh, Kadir, a guy who's still playing, by the way, um, very good player, but he was, you know, 17, hadn't lived in the gaming house with us, um, and he got poached by... Uh, one of the teams that we had lost to in the uh, Challenger series when we were determining seeding for the promotion series. And so we had had to pick a backup jungler. And I'm, you know, he worked really hard to learn as much as he could. And the communication just wasn't there. The synergy just wasn't there. And I could see these players get in their heads and stop talking. And there was just nothing I could do. And the difference between that situation and the one in the show, obviously, is that we hadn't made it into the league yet. Us not making it meant that everything was done. Riot Turkey bought me a ticket the next day to go home. I didn't even have 24 hours to process it before I was on a plane, which they booked under my middle name. So uh, Customs had a hard time with that. I didn't, it didn't go over well. Um, and I may or may not have been kept in holding for about an hour at the Atlanta airport when I got back in because I was a problem. Um, but like, that's, I mean, the, the, the ups and downs of competition, man, like you have the highs and what this game can bring and the joy of watching things come together, the satisfaction of watching players improve. And I'm really proud of what I did. You know, uh, Sylphie, our top laner still runs a coaching school in Germany based off of the system that I created. That's fucking cool man like i didn't coach for very long compared to a lot of other people but i have a legacy and that I, I don't know that means a lot to me you know but i will always go back like cream cheese and think about that series and what if i'd handled draft differently what if i had put 
you know, maybe I should have put the 17 year old support in charge of shot calling because the guy who I put to do it had more experience, but hated that role. And I made the best call I could and it, it didn't work out. And what if is a question you're always left asking yourself if you lose, because not everybody wins. Um, so there, there were, there was a lot of emotion that came in, uh, both positive and negative. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's the ups and downs of it that make you care about esports at all, you know? Yeah, I, I think the legacy is a really huge thing to me from my, my time in esports. Um, you know, I I dealt with or managed, you know, and I say managed kind of in a loose term, but teams in League of Legends, in Smite, in Heroes of the Storm, which I think that's you know, one of the, one of the two, you know, Smite and, and Heroes of the Storm, we had more, way more success in, and, and in, um, Super Smash Brothers, we had the, the organization I worked for, Cognitive, we had Mewtwo King and Wizrobe signed to it at, at, you know, at one point, and I think I look at it, and I, you know, I look at some of the players that, like, Grigne, you know, he, uh, Amaro, the, the jungler for Team Liquid Academy, like, he's been in the LCS, you know, a couple of times here, and, and when I see him play, or uh, or he went by nine JX back then, but hard on Echo Fox when he when he played. Uh, you know when I saw Short Race move on um, and, and play in the Challenger series with Final Five and, and the memes about him, or the couple of times Trans Therapy played with you know Team BK, uh, you know Team Dragon Knights. Um, I look at the Smite guys, and, and you know one of them um, Ally is no longer with us, and, and you know was honored by high res in the game with an icon and uh, a statue on the map, but weakened is one of the top streamers, uh, you know, top smite streamers and, and, a, and a good streamer just in general. He does a lot of, you know, battle royales and plays Apex Legends and, and all these things and, and won a world championship as a, uh, as an Xbox smite player. Um, you know, there is a lot of that legacy, but the players I dealt with in person the most are the Heroes of the Storm team. And I still have saved on my Google Drive a, a video that is sideways you know, from when I recorded it, of the team qualifying for BlizzCon in Vegas and just remembering them always being, like, the fourth team, you know, the fifth team in, in North America. And the and that one time they win, the, the explosion of joy across the entire team, across everything. And, and unfortunately, you know, I wasn't able to go to, to Vegas with them. I had, you know, other responsibilities in California that I had to stay behind and, and take care of. And um, they didn't win. They obviously didn't win at the, at the tournament. They, you know, they struggled. They, they didn't play all that great. Um, but then, you know, those were the guys I was the closest to. And I, this entire, you know, story, this entire, you know, series of players reminds me of one player in particular on that Heroes of the Storm team, a guy, a guy called Shop, And he sort of reminded me of the player you brought up, Chase, of younger guy, you know, hadn't lived out on his own, hadn't anything. And, you know, I, I immediately was just like, I got to take care of this kid. You know, I got to make sure that he is successful. And there were a lot of times where, you know, he had bravado. He thought he was really good. He played, you know, a lot of Tassadar, a lot of Taronda. He was, you know, more of a, you know, secondary support or kind of secondary DPS, depending on what they needed. And 
you know, his struggles, his, you know, trials and tribulations going through it. And I, I will tell you that, you know, I've been fired from two esports jobs and those didn't depress me or, or hurt me as much as the day we finally had to cut him and replace him and, and send him home. And it was fucking heartbreaking for me that this guy that, that I really, 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 really wanted to succeed and I wanted it to be on our team all of a sudden wasn't going to be there. And, you know, he affectionately calls me his esports mom and I still talk to him every once in a while. Um, and he, if you look him up, he's one of the players that won the first Heroes of the Dorm with Arizona State University. And I, I can't think of a prouder esports moment than watching that series and watching him lift a trophy. And now he works for FlyQuest and their social media team. So he's, he's pursued and, and he is, you know, pushed through and, and, you know, got his degree and all these things. But it is, I think, ultimately when you work in it, you know, work in the industry that if you're not a player, you know, that you don't necessarily get to raise a trophy. Uh, and even the players don't get to do it all that often. You know, it, it, there's a, the LCS is there is a minimum of 50 players in the league and, and a, you know, five of them maybe six or seven, depending on subs, are the ones that get to lift the trophy at the end of the year. So it's really about the legacy and what you leave behind. And, you know, seeing these players that I've, you know, managed in the past and catching their streams every once in a while or seeing them be successful in, in other avenues of their life, you know, even just a tweet from one of them, you know, as it comes across my feed of them talking about something or enjoying something is... I'm so glad that I've done anything in it because it's, it's an experience and I'm so glad so many more people nowadays get to experience it than, than when I first started and that there is more structure. And I know here in the last couple of days we've had, um, you know, this, the mob versus, uh, um, uh, made shot hundred thieves cutting people all across the board, but there are more jobs and more opportunities that, you know, pay semi-decently nowadays than there were than we started. And I'm, I'm so happy that so many people can, can have these journeys and, and can experience it uh, at this level. And, you know, hey, maybe one day players won't just be about the players. Maybe we'll get, uh, you know, an office-style comedy about working in the uh working in the hundred thieves training center i i'm not wishing that into existence uh i don't want to watch that but who knows maybe maybe some uh do we get an episode uh where a player gets released by a team and he only finds out via the social media account because apparently overwatch teams can't help but do that oh i've seen that so many times this year where the player like quote teats tweets the the team having released him and it's just like a question mark because he hadn't been told yet um chase, chase it's pretty sad that the only time i'm reminded that the overwatch league still exists is when shit like that happens <laughs> yeah it's not going great um you well, know it is funny I, I i think about the opportunity thing oh sorry did you have sorry i was gonna say walter that would be an amazing like just one-off episode in like season two or potentially a season <laughs> three of like 
you know, the guys that make all the stuff happen and then you eventually get like the the guys on the team just kind of walking in and out and being possibly assholes or just doing very little yeah. but eating like a yeah, piece of where's, toast in the background. Where's the Chris McManus episode? Where's the Big and Paul <laughs> episode? I want to see what those guys are doing on a day-to-day -day basis. That's when they yeah, where's the, really where's the play with chef? the structure. Yeah, where's the team chef? <laughs> yeah, we got to we got to do an Instagram account for some of those team chefs cuz they got they have really evolved on that front. I I mean obviously uh you're going to be surprised to hear that the 2016 gaming house uh, did not have a lot of great cooking. Uh, I did my best to cook from time to time, but as a coach, I had a lot going on. So we'd, we'd switch out. And uh, I think one of the players, it was like, well, here's some pasta, throw in some egg, maybe some like cut up hot dog Ooh. and a whole bunch of ketchup. That seems like a meal, right? And that was the good, like, if you got lucky, that worked out pretty well. Um, it's the best we and worst ordering. part of dorm life, I guess. Yeah, but there was a there's a Turkish food. I forget what the name of it is. Where it's like it's kind of like a pizza, but it's got egg to it, um, and it's really tasty. Um, we ended up ordering probably more than we should, and uh, when the team, because the team I was coaching was not a team that had a lot of uh, money going around. Uh, to the extent that at one point the team manager came by with a couple loaves of bread and was like, hey, that's what we had money for this week because the money from the org didn't come in. So I had to buy the team food for a little bit. Um, but yeah, certainly we were we were ordering and those were always the exciting days, right? It's like, yeah, we got we to gotta treat ourselves here because we had a really good day of scrims or maybe we had a really bad day of scrims and we needed something to look forward to. Um, there's a quaintness to it, right? And you get that with the, the, the 2015 and 2016 scenes of the show. Um, but it's like, that's the pro and con, right? Like nowadays they live in much nicer houses. They have the facilities. They don't have to worry about those things, um, you know? But it's, you lose the, I, I, I don't want to say wholesomeness because that's not really what I'm going for here, but the, just the, the authentic nature of putting everything you have because you have nowhere else if this doesn't work out. My mid laner would say that regularly to me. It's like either I make it into the TCL and I get this job or I'm working at McDonald's. Those are the jobs in front of me right now and I really don't want to work at McDonald's. Um, it was just a different time. See, our Heroes of the Storm team, because of how... So, Kristen, we... I helped... Uh, helped uh open a restaurant a gaming themed restaurant and land center and we had a little like banquet private room off the side and that was our scrim room for our team so during the time when the restaurant was operating if the players wanted food we just ordered from the restaurant oh nice and like granted they're they're not getting like you know they're not getting like a ribeye steak or anything but like you know for pretty much all their meals they had a chef that was there and, and the chef chef sal was an awesome dude where if you had gone to him and said hey can can you cook me like something special or if he had gone to the store and you know made something for the the chefs in the back and said he'd come over and be like hey you guys want to try this i introduced him to the concept of a chicken wing pizza because <laughs> i'm from upstate new york like that's a thing seriously chicken wing pizza yeah 
That's that's like a thing here. It, think oh about it, it, a barbecue chicken pizza. You know what that is, yes, right? Yes. Okay. Instead of barbecue sauce, put hot put like buffalo wing sauce on. Oh, I thought chicken wing pizza. Literally, like you would just put a chicken wing on a slice of like it, it would just be chicken wings littering <laughs> a pizza. The bones would have been hard if the pizza was worked like that. <laughs> But but I told him, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm kind of missing this from home. And when I described it to him, he's like, oh, okay, I got you. And then he came out like 15 minutes later with, granted, it wasn't the best chicken wing pizza I've ever had, but it was a chicken Aww. wing pizza. It was it was awesome. That's so sweet. Um, but then these guys were living in apartments above this place, like three guys to an apartment. So And these apartments were, were not large. I lived in one of them. They were not large apartments. So yeah, there is. There's a there's like a grassrootsness. There's a there is an honesty to what things were like, you know, back in 2015, 2016 that then when you see how things are now and you see these multi-million dollar training centers that, you know, CLG or TSM or 100 Thieves are creating, or even just, you know, the content creator houses where they go out and they buy a mansion someplace. And they're like, yeah, this is our office because we want to just show it off in videos and look real cool. It's an entirely different scene nowadays. And it's going to suck when the money eventually dries up and the people that are around now kind of disappear. And, you know, hopefully we'll remember where we came from and we'll be able to make it work and we'll kind of harken back to those good old days uh, where you're taking a video of these five random guys you pulled from across the country and put them into a little cafe room off the side of a restaurant to qualify for a world championship and just kind of the real authentic pride and happiness that comes with it. I have a question. Not to end on a downer note, do you think the bubble is going to burst? Like, Oh, it's a huge problem that no one wants to talk about. Okay. And I understand why. Um, Walter and I, uh, you can attest to this. I believe we've been having conversations about how esports is five years away from making it mainstream for about <laughs> eight years in a row now. Like... We're always, oh, we're so close. The It's coming in, this venture capitalist money is holding everything up. But like, you know, I, I work in esports journalism, right? That's something that has been a passion of mine. Every site I've written for outside of my current employer no longer exists. They're all dead. ESPN couldn't turn a profit on esports coverage enough to keep that division open, right? And they've got literal Disney money. Um, so many of these teams are desperately trying to turn a profit. And 100 Thieves is the closest that we've seen because they've at least made their brand more of a lifestyle clothing brand that can uh, come in with that alternative revenue. Uh, and even they have to lay off people all the time. Like, no one has figured out how to monetize it yet. And it's largely because the people who are invested in it don't have a ton of disposable income. They're mostly young people. Um, whether they're college age or like, you know, people our age, you know, in that like late twenties, early thirties, haven't necessarily had mm -hmm. the, uh, disposable income because, uh, things haven't been going great for a lot of young people in general, I would say. You don't um, say. 
I know it's so shocking. I'm sure. Um, new breaking news to anybody <laughs> listening to this. Um, and, and most of them are very internet savvy. So they use Adblock, right? Most people do, which I understand, but there was a, a site I had previously worked for that like shared with me some of their data because they were trying to figure out a way to keep themselves afloat and, and wanted some insight. And their ad block rate was 96%. How do you make a profit when the major revenue for all of the sports leagues, the things that people like Riot want to model their league off of, are based on advertising and 96% of your target audience doesn't watch the ads? Mm -hmm. It's kind of a concern. It's a big... And that's that's the real problem here is that Everyone is looking at, at, at I, don't, I hate saying real sports, but, but real sports, what people consider real sports. They're looking at basketball, they're looking at football, they're looking at baseball, and they're looking at all those models and they're going, well, why isn't this that? And the reality of it is, is that those, those things, those sports, those leagues have existed for the better part of 75 to 100 years. Baseball didn't show up in year 10 and was making a billion dollars. It, it just it just doesn't do that. And the problem is that all of these investors are so excitable. They're so just like, oh my God, there's a place where there's a lot of eyeballs from this, this you know, 16 to 30 demographic. All these eyeballs are over here. We need to get in front of them because we need to get them to buy our product because the older generation is dying off. And as Chase said, we don't have a lot of expendable, you know, income. We don't have a lot of excess income for me to be like, yeah, I'm going to buy a certain product because, uh, you know, because Doublelift uses it. I don't know if anybody our age is really like that mm-hmm. anymore. I think a lot of us care more about the quality of the product because it's an investment. Like, we aren't going to buy a Honda because Team Liquid is like, hey, we like Honda. When we go to buy a car, maybe that's in the back of our head because we just watched, you know, LCS or just saw somebody tweet and we see the word Honda. It might be in the back of our head. But this this isn't the older days where if... Uh, you know, if Jordan opens up a Coke, well, I got to be like Jordan. I got to be like, I got to be cool. I, I really think our generation doesn't actually give that much of a crap about what other people view of us from our material consumption. I think our generations, you know, the, the millennial generation and the, and the you know, the Zoomers, um, I think they more care about what people think of us as a person, about the content of our character and our actions and those types of things. And I, I just really think it's a marketing problem more so than it is like an esports specific problem. I think it's that these people don't understand how to market to these younger generations. And unfortunately, esports is going to be a, a victim of that misunderstanding because at some point they're going to go, we've thrown so much money at this and it's not working, so it must be a failure. Right. And we've been lucky enough to to stave that off for a while. Um, I don't like the mainstream discussion anymore because it comes down to what's your definition of mainstream? Like, is it, oh, esports needs to be on cable TV? How many people our age have cable TV? Hmm. Oh, esports needs to be accepted by the older population. 
at what point has any younger population cared about what the older population thinks about their culture? Like our, our parents didn't care that their parents didn't like rock and roll. Like it, I, I think it's a lot of misunderstanding and it's, unfortunately it is a bubble and it is going to pop. And my only hope is that the brands that are able to survive it, like I think Riot could survive a bubble pop. I think the LCS could survive a bubble pop mm-hmm. just because it has pedigree. It's been a- around for so long. Would they have to scale it way the hell back? Absolutely. Would they might have to stop, you know, having a studio in Santa Monica and they might have to move it to Georgia? Sure. But I don't think the LCS is going to die, you know, three years from now when the bubble pops because I just think the longevity is there. Do I think something like the Overwatch League or the Call of Duty League might fall apart? Absolutely, because there's no there's no credibility to it. It's it's I don't think anybody's ever really bought into the Overwatch League in a long-term strategic sense. It's just been it's fancy, it's shiny, throw money at it and see what happens. Yeah, it was yeah. city-based, um, so it makes more sense to the sports investors. Yeah. I will say I'm I'm not worried about Riot Games or any of these game publishers because they make all their money off of microtransactions, right? To them, yes. esports is a marketing expense. Uh, Riot has literal 10 cent money. And funnily enough, we talk about like will the older generations care? China cares a lot about esports. When EDG won the world championship last year, you could hear people in the streets celebrating when that victory came down. It was, it mattered. It was different. And Riot is owned by Tencent, a Chinese corporation. So, you know, they, they'll probably, and, and I think they've already done it to a lesser extent, they'll stop advertising it the way that they have in North America. Instead, they're pushing games like Valorant and they're trying to hit games that will appeal to a more Western audience because they don't think MOBAs will. But like the game studios will be fine. The thing that's going to change is that teams like TSM aren't going to be able to get $300 million deals from a crypto exchange for forever, right? Right. The crypto exchange is going to realize that $30 million a year for a team and a name sponsorship was a bad investment. And probably TSM is going to recognize that doubling down on a crypto organization, despite the controversial nature of crypto to the gaming space, also very much a concern. These are things that like the venture capitalist money that is funding these teams and therefore player salaries, that's what I'm worried about. Because a lot of these players rely on this income to maintain a quality of life and you know mm-hmm. are used to these certain paychecks and whatnot that are just unsustainable. And you know that's going to be the first thing to dry up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Microsoft is going to stop fueling performance centers for, you know, these million dollar setups for this crazy stats analysis and whatever else. They're just going to focus on the things that make money. Like like Activision Blizzard, they'll just release another Diablo Immortal and make like a billion dollars yeah. off of an obvious cash grab. Like, and, and that's sort of what we're seeing now is that the, the organization, 100 Thieves, I, I don't mean to like beat the crap out of them, but they're just <laughs> one that's stuck in my head. They've cut a bunch of support staff. They've cut a bunch of editors and um, and designers and just a, social media people just across the board. They've just cut a bunch of them because they're like, oh, well, we're starting to hemorrhage money. Like, what's the easiest thing to cut? It's lower level people. 
It's your your lower level day-to-day operations people because you can just try and pile that stuff onto others. And uh, and they're a team that does well for themselves, right? Like a hundred thieves in a lot of ways are a best case scenario for marketing within the esports space. And it just doesn't matter. The money's just not there. Um, I think they're good for marketing themselves. I think yeah. like their marketing platform sells a lot of their apparel, but I don't think it's good for rock uh, for rocket uh, rocket mortgage. Like I don't think rocket mortgage is making a bunch of money off of what hundred thieves does. Yeah. Um, That's a (laughs) weird call for a esports marketing thing, right? How many mortgages are our generation taking out right now? Yeah. It's a, it's a, they're from the Midwest type thing. Like I get it. I get why it might work, but like, I don't think, I don't know how much the Geico partnership actually makes Geico money. Right. Like I, I just don't think that it makes them money. So Unfortunately, yeah, you're right. It's gonna be it's gonna be the players, and it's gonna be all the the lower tier support staff, and you know it, then eventually Nate Shot will you know create some God, uh, Hastro from Team Envious will create some you know sob story video about how he has to close the organization, and it's been a good run, and and you know so on and so forth. But he'll still be a multimillionaire because he got his bag and protected himself. Mm-hmm. So, I'm yep. So- I'm sorry to end it on such a dour note. My goodness. You ended it on a realistic note. Yeah. I I mean, look, I can throw out the time that my mid laner insisted on playing mid lane Evelyn in 2016, if that'll make people feel better. Uh, it was, he was so confident that that would work out well in scribs. And I'm like, you get one. And it went terribly. He went like 08 and 3. And he's like, give me another chance. No. I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. You were, you were not. nice. You gave him the chance, Chase. You gave him the the length of rope. It was 2016 Evelyn. So everything was built around being in the jungle brush. And he's like, no, but it'll work though. And I'm like, absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely. I love the confidence. No. Have it about something uh. that will work. <sighs> If you want to end on a good note that really tells you what esports was like back in the day be- before before the corporatization and really what esports is about. 4th of July with that Heroes of the Storm team, the the restaurant was closed, you know, everything was closed down basically. So me being the the boomer at heart <laughs> that I am, I told the guys, "Hey, let me get some hot dogs. We'll have a we'll have a cookout. We'll play some Smash Brothers, and then you know when it gets dark, we'll we'll go downtown and we'll watch the fireworks. So I brought from my apartment down my little George Foreman Ooh. grill. I bought some like Hebrew National hot dogs and and rolls, and just kind of grilled them there in the restaurant on a table. We sat around for a couple hours and, and just hung out and played Smash and Mario Kart or whatever. And then, you know, we walked as a team, watched the fireworks, and then, you know, we walked back, all hung out again for a little while, played some games, you know, they practiced a little bit. And then, you know, ended the night and came back down the next day and got back to work. And I think that that connection of, of players, of, you know, it... I, I don't want to say family because it, it does seem kind of cliche, but at some point it does become family-esque. 
And to me, out of all of this, out of the, the, you know, crypto money, venture capitalist money, the mainstream, all of this stuff, at the end of the day, no matter what happens to esports, that's what I'll remember. I'll remember those days and those connections and feeling a part of something that no matter how successful it is or not matters in that moment and was fun. And with that, I told Chase we might hit two hours on this podcast. Somehow we are, we are hopefully by the time the intros are done, going to be around an hour and 45 minutes. Thank you all so much for sticking around us. Uh, with us for this discussion and, and Chase and I's sort of reminiscence of our esports careers. Uh, Kristen, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for providing your your insight uh, insight and sort of an outsider uh, view on this. Uh, is there anything you want to plug in any place that the folks at home can find Ugh. you? Uh, well, thank you guys so much for having me. It was a blast. Um, I am on Twitter and Instagram. It's just my own private. It's my name. It's K. Pignolo, and it's spelled really weirdly so it's gonna be in some sort of description um but no i don't really have a professional online presence i'm just a friend there is nothing wrong with just being a friend sometimes you know friends friends are all you need and speaking of friends chase where can the good folks at home find you uh, you can find me at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter. You can follow the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. I would love to hear your favorite esports stories, those of you who are listening to this. This was a really, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot to love about esports and the ups and downs of it and the competition and, and everything. And, you know, whether it's just you being a fan of a team, whether you were a part of a fan club for a team, whether you worked with a team. However you interact with esports, I'd just love to hear from you and the things that really stuck with you, um, or in fact are sticking with you if you're someone who's uh, managed to, to stick around in this crazy thing we call an industry. So um, absolutely reach out there. And uh, yeah, though I'm glad we watched it. I, I, I think we didn't really get to the do we recommend it or not. Yes. Uh, I, Mostly, yeah. I, I, for where it ended, I think I recommend it. Um, though I understand if anyone watches the first few episodes and is like, eh. But if you stick with it, it gets there. Um, so yeah, that's that's me. Yeah, I absolutely. I I would recommend it. Get through the first couple episodes. It does get better. Um, and, and yeah, you know, uh, other things I would recommend. Uh, you can follow the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. Uh, you can also follow us on Spotify, uh, the the main feed, the uh, Rough Drafts feed. Or if you want just the video games, that's over on the Steam Cleaners feed. Or just the movies slash TV shows over on the Final Cut feed. Uh, this has been a hell of a podcast. Uh, teared up a couple of times. I'm going to go play some League of Legends to unwind until I have to go to bed and get ready to go to work in the morning. Uh, but until next time, goodbye, Internet. Bye.